Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Monday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Hey, you recall that last week we launched our brand new LogosBibleStudy.com website, a website that includes my teaching from 2013 up through 2020, verse by verse through the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, including the Deuterocanonical books or the Apocrypha. I elevated the courses from what you've heard on Audible to university-level courses, and now they're all available. If you go to LogosBibleStudy.com, have a look. In fact, last week we gave a guided tour of the new website to a group of invited students on Saturday, this past Saturday, and we spent about an hour together talking about the website. They had questions about it, and it went over really big, a big hit. Within five days of last week, we had over 100 new subscriptions on the site. So please do have a look, and uh, we'd love to have you join us. Each course has a full syllabus, 40 to 50 page syllabus. Each course has video lectures, 450 in total in 22 courses, and a ton of support material. In addition, we have a featured course each quarter that we'll take together as a group, which includes a two-hour group discussion every Saturday morning from 10 until noon, as well as individual office hours with me every Tuesday and Thursday from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. You can drop in anytime on Zoom and we can chat, we can ask questions, we can have discussions, and we get to meet one another as well. So please do have a look at the website and tell me what you think. I'd love to hear. So we better get rolling on this week's podcast. We left off last time with Paul being arrested in Jerusalem, thinking that he was a terrorist and the Roman centurion brought him back to the Antonia fortress, stripped him butt naked, and was going to flog him to get the information out of him about why this riot had occurred and what the people had against him. And as Paul is stretched out, about to be beaten, he turned to the centurion and he said, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? Well, when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are we going to do? This man is a Roman citizen. Roman citizens have rights under Roman law. And chaining and flogging a Roman citizen was absolutely against the law. So the commander and the centurion are really worried. The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. And Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin, the ruling Jewish body in Jerusalem. And he said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this very day. At this, the high priest Ananias 
ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth, slap him in the face. Whap! And Paul went down. He scrambled up to his feet. And Paul said, God will strike you, 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 you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. I love that scene. Paul is slapped across the face, knocked to the floor, scrambles up, and is searching his mind for the worst insult he can make. And he says, God will strike you, 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 you whitewashed wall. <laughs> whitewashed wall? What's that? Well, it reminds me of when my youngest son, Jonathan, was growing up. He was about three years old, and I don't know what I did, but he was really, really angry with me. And he stood there, looking me right in the eye, looking right up at me, his face red, clenching his fists. And he said, you, you, you big, fat, smelly buffalo. <laughs> now, Jonathan may be listening to this recording, and if he is, Laugh along with me, Jonathan. It was one of the funniest things that you ever did. <laughs> you whitewashed wall. Well, those who were standing near Paul said, You dare insult God's high priest? And Paul replied, Brothers, I, I, I didn't realize it was the high priest. It is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Now, how can Paul not recognize the high priest? Remember when Paul was a persecutor of the church? He received letters of introduction from the high priest to go to Jerusalem, up to Damascus, and arrest people in Damascus who were followers of the way. He knew the high priest, but apparently he really can't see that well. And we talked about that on the road to Damascus when he was blinded. The problem after being blinded, yes, he could see again, but not very well. We talked about that, about the thorn in Paul's flesh, which I believe is his eyesight. Paul always traveled on his missionary journeys with a whole entourage of people because he needed help. And when he writes some of his letters and epistles, he didn't write them, he dictated them. And his secretary, Tertius, we read about him in Romans 16, wrote them down. And sometimes Paul would add a PS in his own handwriting. And he would say, look at what big letters I use as I write to you in my own hand. Big letters, I think, because Paul had difficulty seeing. So Paul said, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't realize he was the high priest. And then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin. Now, Paul has a really interesting defense strategy. Divide and conquer. Paul said, my brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. While the Pharisees believed in resurrection, the Sadducees didn't, which I always have to comment is why they're sad, you see. But it was a big divide between those two uh, groups of Jews. So Paul drives a wedge right between them, and the attack veers off. It veers off. He said, I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. And when he said this, 
a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the whole assembly was divided. Now, there was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man. After all, he agrees with us. We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel had spoken to him? Well, that made things worse because the Sadducees didn't believe in spirits and angels. The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him back to the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, Paul. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. You'll be going to Rome, Paul. Well, not quite yet. It will take a while to get there, but Paul will indeed make it to Rome. Now, the next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Now, they are really ticked off at Paul. More than 40 men were involved in the plot. They went to the chief priests and elders and they said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we've killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about the case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. We will ambush him on the way. Forty men! But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went to the barracks and told Paul. Now this is the only place in scripture where we learn that Paul had a sister. And his sister also lives in Jerusalem. And she has a son who overheard the conversation and went and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions. And he said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander, and the centurion said, Paul, the prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. So the commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside where they could speak privately, and asked, what is it you want to tell me? And Paul's nephew said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them, because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him, and they've taken an oath not to eat or drink till they've killed Paul. They're ready now and waiting for your consent to their request. Well, the commander dismissed the young man and cautioned him. Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Paul is a Roman citizen, and Paul will be protected. The commander called two of his centurions and ordered them, Get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, to go to Caesarea Maritima at 9 o'clock tonight. Provide mounts for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. Imagine that. Paul 
the accused Roman citizen, accused by the Jews, not the Romans, Paul is given a protective detail of 200 armed soldiers, 70 cavalry, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea. Holy cow! 470 men protecting Paul on the journey from Jerusalem down to the coast at Caesarea Maritima, a little over 70 miles. Well, of course, he has to explain to the governor why he did this. So he wrote a letter as follows. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews, and they were about to kill him. But I came with my troops and rescued him, for I had learned that he is a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their own religious law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment under Roman law. And when I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. Now the commander, Claudius Lysias, did exactly the right thing. So the soldiers, carrying out their orders, took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipartus. The next day, they let the cavalry go on with him while the armed soldiers and spearmen returned to the barracks. And when the cavalry arrived at Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province Paul was from, and learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. Now, very importantly, Paul is no longer under arrest. Paul is under protective custody. After all, there was a plot by 40 men led by the Jewish Sanhedrin to assassinate Paul on the way to a meeting with the commander. Paul, the Roman citizen, has rights under Roman law. So make no mistake, I've been to Caesarea Maritima many times, and I've heard guides and pastors say that this is where Paul was kept as a prisoner for two years. He was not a prisoner. He was under protective custody. The guard is there to protect Paul, not to keep him from running away. Now, we move to chapter 24. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. So the high priest and the leaders of the Sanhedrin hired a really good lawyer, and they went down to Caesarea. When Paul was called in, Tertullus, the attorney, presented his case before Felix. He began, as one would do if one were a wise rhetorician, and Tertullus is, he began by complimenting the governor. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. 
everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We found this man, pointing to Paul, to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will learn the truth about all these charges that we are bringing against him. Well, the Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. They were leveling charges against Paul one after another. And when the governor motioned for him to speak, for Paul to defend himself, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. Paul, like Tertullus, begins his rhetorical defense by complimenting his listener. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. Remember, Paul had gone there to make sacrifices, ending his Nazarite vow that he had taken in Corinth. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Well, that's a pretty darn good defense. Paul continues, After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present the offerings, again, for ending the Nazarite vow. I was ceremonially clean when, I found, uh, when they found me in the temple courts doing this. Paul had immersed himself in one of the many mikvah near the southern steps of the temple, purifying himself ritually. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Remember, it was the Jews from Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, Paul's first and second missionary journey? They should be here and bring their charges. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Well, unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you today. Then Felix, the governor, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. So Paul remains in protective custody 
at the palace at Caesarea Maritima, not in a jail cell. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, the judgment to come, Felix grew uncomfortable. And he said, that's enough for now. You may leave, and when I find it convenient, I'll send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him well, my translation, NIV translation now that I'm reading from, would offer him a bribe. So he sent him frequently and talked, or sent for him frequently and talked with him. A bribe. Well, I think that's a little inaccurate. Not a bribe, but bakshish. Bakshish is like a tip. Uh, it's something expected in this part of the world. It's not something, unless it were excessive, it's not a bribe, it's simply a gesture of thanks. And, uh, and apparently Paul had not yet done that. So Felix sent for him frequently and talked with him. I think Governor Felix rather liked having Paul around. They would get together, have a glass of wine, talk, and Drusilla, Felix's wife, was a Jew. She understood these things. And I think they enjoyed having a talk. In fact, Paul will be there in Caesarea Maritima for two years. Now, three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They urgently requested Festus, as a favor to them, to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem. From Caesarea, back up to Jerusalem to appear before the Sanhedrin. And why? They were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. So Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea. And I myself am going there soon. Some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there if he's done anything wrong. So Festus knows about these things. He knows what's going on. He knows of the plot. So after spending eight or ten days with them, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he convened the court in order that Paul be brought before him. And when Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they couldn't prove. And then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? And Paul said, absolutely not. <laughs> I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I am a Roman citizen. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you well know. If, however, I'm guilty of doing anything deserving death, 
that's fine. Go ahead and kill me. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Well, after Festus heard of this, he conferred with his council and he declared, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. Paul asserted his right as a Roman citizen to appeal his case directly to the imperial court in Rome. And that's where he's going to go. He'll get there to Rome. I told you he would. Well, let's find out how he gets to Rome. And that will be Wednesday's lesson. Thank you very much, folks. I'll be back with you then. And be sure to visit LogosBibleStudy.com. Bye-bye now. <laughs>